Yes, I'm a, a, a Jewish believer. Um, I became a believer when I was a teenager in St. Louis in the U.S. and um, would have done anything that was needed to stop somebody who does what I do from doing this. Um, I was told to kill myself at the age of 12 if anybody tried to force me to believe in Jesus. And at 13, I decided I'm not going to die. I'll kill you. So, um, quite the story how I got from there to here, but uh, anyway, God, um, I mean, I wasn't out to attack Christians, only if they tried to force Jewish people to believe in their Jesus, you know. So, um, anyway, I um, went to university in um, uh, central Illinois, studied medical technology, and then uh, worked for a while in central Illinois, and then went to Haiti, where I was a missionary in Haiti for, uh, well, a total of a year and a half, and um, wanted to live there the rest of my life. Did well in Creole, and then the mission I associated with, our sister mission, wanted me to learn French, and I ended up in Canada, where I had no clue anybody still spoke French. I thought they came here and cut down trees and shot beaver and went home, but... Had no clue anybody stayed. They didn't teach us Canadian history in the U.S., so I came up as an ignorant American, um, tried to reform myself, and uh, I think in Celsius now, dutifully. Um, <clears throat> but um, got stuck in the snow, and instead of only spending eight months in Siberia, which is what I called it, um, uh, in Quebec City, I've uh, been here 32 years stuck, so, um, and uh, like it here. So, anyway, um, God had other plans for me, and when I joined Ariel Ministries, I uh, began not long after, one year later, to travel, and that's what I do now. Ariel uh, means Lion of God, and that's why none of you, has anybody never gotten one of our brochures as that? Anybody not ever seen one of these? I'll pass them out. Anybody else? Um, here we go. Anybody else? All good? Okay. Um, Ari means lion, and L is one of God's names, and so it's Lion of God Ministries. Has anybody here been to Israel? All right. And you saw this symbol on manhole covers, on public um, dumpsters. This is the symbol for Jerusalem because it's the city of David, right? David um, coming from the tribe of Judah, the Lion of Judah. So this is the symbol on everything civic in Jerusalem. And it's our symbol as well. So um, Ariel Ministries exists to evangelize according to Romans 1.16. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power, it's the dynamite unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And there's only one verb, trust me, in Greek in that verse. And if it's present tense, that it's, is it still the power of God unto salvation? Amen, absolutely. Then that same verb also says it is still to the Jew first. It's the same verb same tense. It's not just in the past. 
And as I tell people, even if you do insist on saying it's in the past, at least you need to include Jewish people in your missions outreach, in your evangelism, in the way you look at your missions work in general as that the church does. So um, I travel North America and share the teachings of the ministry. This particular teaching that I'm going to share with you was um, done by Jacques-Isaac Gabizon, who is my director, because when there are men present, that's the way we operate. Um, I'm just, I, last week, I presented something at a church in um, outside Edmonton at Beach Corner, my biggest supporting church actually now. And um, they asked me to talk about anti-Semitism. And I thought I should bring you up to date on what's going on in Canada and Alberta real quick. Uh, anti-Semitism just means anti-Jewish or anti-Jesus. You know, anything against Jewish people is against Jesus. Don't ever forget that. Um, Stats Can, Stats Canada, uh, talked about, had a report that's called According to Police Reported Hate Crime, 2017. That was the name of their document. Uh, it uh, was presented, it took them about a year to do it. Uh, so November of just last year, they said, Jews are the single most targeted group for hate crimes in Canada. Hear that on CBC, CTV? Global, national, probably not. Um, uh, 2018, there were 2,041 anti-Semitic incidents. Uh, it's been the third record-breaking year in a row in Canada. 16.5% uh, more last year than in 2017. Um, this is the new normal, they said, in Canada. That's stats can for you. Uh, among the most serious or egregious events were a group of teens throwing lit fireworks at Orthodox or Hasidic Jews in Boisbriand, Quebec, a group of Orthodox students being assaulted on the streets of Toronto, two Saskatchewan elementary school students being harassed and beaten by other students, a student who threatened to shoot up a Jewish school in Toronto, and death threats made against children at a Montreal Jewish school that were posted on the Journal de Montréal's Facebook page. And B'nai B'rith, which is the Anti-Defamation League, which keeps record of all these things, said the rise in occurrences in Canada is part of a broader trend. There has been a dramatic, quote, increase in anti-Semitic incidents worldwide in 2018, particularly in Europe and the United States. But let's look here in Calgary. Calgary Herald, I'm quoting, it says, Alberta's Jewish community is concerned over a troubling rise in anti-Semitic incidents, which reached a new high. Now, this is 2017. Uh, Brene Birth Canada released its annual audits of incidents, and in 2017, it was 1,752 nationwide last year, so that's three a day. In Alberta, the number of incidents deemed anti-Semitic jumped to 206 in 2017, the third highest in Canada. Behind, Ontario was number one with 808, Quebec 474, and Alberta came in third. That same survey found 121 in Alberta and BC combined, and now, of course, um, it's, uh, you know, let's see, so the... Uh, uh, oops, I didn't find the actual number. Oh, it was two, 200 and something. 
in uh, Alberta. So it's a mixture of vandalism, harassment, and violence. Yeah, 206. So um, that's almost one a day in Alberta. Um, Jared Shore, who is Community Relations Committee Chair with the Calgary Jewish Found Federation, said the latest findings are a concern, particularly the fact there's been a steady rise in incidents. Uh, he said, I think those numbers are obviously a concern, and the trajectory is a concern as well. And then I um, quoted some things that were going on in Edmonton because I was speaking there. Um, in the U.S., the Anti-Defamation League saw there was a 57% rise in anti-Semitic incidents in the U.S. in 2017. And in 2018, the violent assaults doubled. The, um, you know the kind of place that's targeted most in Canada? Schools, kids, children are being targeted first, K through 12. That's the number one place where people are being harassed, then synagogue. Um, anyway, two years ago, a Jewish cemetery in St. Louis was desecrated where my grandparents are buried. And we're not going to go into the Pittsburgh shooting. Anyway, I just thought I would give you, bring you up to date on what's happening in your own province. Um, anyway, it's pretty discouraging. But uh, plenty of Holocaust deniers. Here you go. If we held a moment of silence for every victim of the Holocaust, we would be silent for 11 and a half years. Anyway, um, and uh, uh, two weeks ago, the um, European Union Jewish Congress met and said, we're questioning the very existence of Jews in Europe. So, anyway, yeah. Or here's the exact quote. Acts of anti-Semitism call into question the very continuation of Jewish life in many parts of the world. Okay, enough of that. I'm going to go on to a subject that, um, because if I don't tell you about it, I don't know where you're going to hear about it. Just don't know. So, choose to speak out more when I speak, even if it takes up some of my time. So um, let's turn your Bibles to Genesis 22. And again, you might think it's a story you know, and you're going to be surprised. Just like I was, because I thought I studied Genesis in synagogue. I studied Genesis in seminary. And when I heard this, I said, wow, how did I miss this? Genesis 22, and the entry of Isaac uh, is a grand one. And... Um, we see a very edifying one because we're going to see a lot about Jesus. And when Jesus said the scriptures testify of him, the history of Isaac is like number one. And um, that, you know, Isaac's life shouts out Jesus's name, Yeshua's name. Um, it's a powerful, as, it's a prophecy as powerful as the one in Isaiah 53, which is, you know, the gold standard for uh, messianic prophecy. You know, Isaiah said it and Isaac lived it almost to the end, and um, we're going to see a lot of types and messages that point to the Gospels. In fact, you cannot understand this chapter 
in a way without understanding about Jesus. So people call this the sacrifice of Isaac in, or the testing of Abraham. The word in Hebrew is akedah or akedah, which means binding, the binding of Isaac. And, um, you know, that will come get you. I don't know. How many of you have sons? How many of you have sons? Okay. Imagine being told to tie up your son, slit his throat, and burn him till he's, there's nothing left. That's what I, Abraham was asked to do. It sets off a whole flood of emotions, I would think, in your heart hearing that. And uh, you think, wait a minute, we have a God of love. <laughs> How does that work? How could Abraham obey that? Um, and Isaac, where did he get the strength to obey and go along with it? You know, there's a lot of depth and beauty in this story. But if you take Jesus, if you take the Messiah out of the story, it just doesn't make sense. It's just going to disorient you. Um, it's going to make you hate God. Um, and um, if you forget that the main subject, the main line of the story that began in Genesis 3.15, when God promised to send uh, a, a child who would be born of a virgin, that the woman's seed was going to crush the um, head of the enemy, you don't know where this comes from, this Genesis 22 story. And you'll just end up being separated from God. But if you're faithful, it'll bless you. And, um, you know, it's really better to call it the testing of Abraham and Isaac because both of them had a trial. And we usually focus on Abraham, but Isaac was equally tried. You know, you could call it the testing of a father and a son, but really father with a capital F and son with a capital S because this is about God who does send his son, um, an ultimate sacrifice. And it was told you know, thousands of years before his coming through two obedient men of God. And um, we just pray you'll be blessed to hear this. And despite the difficult and hard things which he imposed on them, and we're going to see God's love in this. So start on uh, with verse 1 and 2 now in Genesis 22. It says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Hineni, in Hebrew, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, think about that one, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, how can God believe in human sacrifice? This is what Jewish people who don't believe in Jesus say today. You are a religion that believes in human sacrifice, and we don't. We should point them to this chapter and say, what, what was God asking here, by the way? Um, what's it doing in our Bible, the story, you know, and obviously that stirs up all those feelings to hear, take your son, how many of you have sons, and just offer him as a burnt offering, by the way, burnt offering means you burn it till it's all dust, till there's nothing left, no funeral, no burial, no nothing, um, hold on to that feeling, you're going to need it in a little bit, so remember, of course, Abraham did not kill his son, and it never happened that he really offered him as a sacrifice. It was a test. God said in the first verse, God tested Abraham. But Abraham, you know, we know now it's a test. Did Abraham know it was a test? Um, don't know, but he intended to go all the way, even kill his son if he had to. Um, and he knew either God wasn't going to let it happen or God was going to raise him from the dead. Eric, let's go to the next uh, slide, and we see in the book of Hebrews what Abraham was thinking at that time. 
We see it in Hebrews 11, verses 17 to 19. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises that he's going to have a whole nation born out of him, nations, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that, well, God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also did receive him in a figurative sense. So it's very powerful. You know, Abraham knew it was a test. He knew Isaac would live. We know it's a test. So why do we have this story? Did, did Abraham's faith needed proving? What's the message? Well, the message is much later. Because he didn't sacrifice his son, but there was a father who did sacrifice his son. And that's what this story is talking about. It's talking about the true father who really did send his son to be sacrificed. And as God the Father sent his son, the Messiah, to die for us, that's where the story takes us. And if you forget that, you're going to drown in that story. You're not going to figure it out. It's going to be impossible. Now, remember that feeling of ooh, horror, the idea of sacrificing your son? Um, Jacques Isaac says, that's the name of my director, is it possible that this story was purposely written with the intent to repulse us, but with a mirror in our hand? facing toward us. I'll explain that. Think about something. Why was the death of an innocent man necessary? Why was the crucifixion of the Messiah necessary? It was because of our sins. It is these sins which are so repulsive to God. If we are offended when we hear of a human sacrifice, have we thought how how offensive our sin is to God? That's where the story takes us. The sacrifice was for our benefit, despite the great offense that we have committed. The offense is ours. It's not God's. And God emphasizes the offense because he asked for a burnt offering. He could have chosen a lesser one, but he chose the most extreme of all. That completely burned up. It says, Rola sacrifice. That means it's ascending to God. It's in smoke. Nothing left. And that became a symbol of the Messiah's perfect commitment. So if we redirect that disgust, then we begin to understand the binding of Isaac. And that's where we can see the love of God. It's the same kind of offense that you have when, next slide, Eric, Jesus said something very hard in John 6.53. And a lot of people left after they heard this one. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. The Holy Spirit in both passages wants us to realize how awful our sin is. He convicts us to tell us this whole story is for us and because of us. That revulsion is for our sins, but the Messiah is for our salvation. Now, other people have dealt with this story in interesting ways. A few years ago, there was a uh, a magazine called the uh, Jewish, there was a Jewish journal, and the writer spoke of this chapter as one of the greatest religious puzzles of all times. He said, it's the ultimate violation of natural morality. Emmanuel Kant, the um, you know, famous philosopher, said, Abraham just shouldn't have listened to that command, because it couldn't have been God asking him, But they just couldn't get it. You take Jesus out of the scriptures, you get an incomprehensible story. 
Remove the foundation and the whole book will lose all its spiritual power. Next slide, Eric. Jesus said in John 5, 46, if you just believed Moses, you'd believe me. For he wrote about me. And especially this chapter, the Akeda. It's all about him. So let's look deeper into the story. Now, um, it's, the Messiah is really at every turn. Let's look at where the land of Moriah or Moriah is. And that's the text will really open up for us then. We'll go to the next slide, and you'll see the next time you see that name in the scriptures is 2 Chronicles 3.1. By the way, if the slide behind me isn't what I'm saying, just let me know. <laughs> I don't have a monitor here to see it. 2 Chronicles 3.1 says, Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. You said, well, wait a minute. Isn't that Mount Zion? Same name. It just got changed later. Same mountain, okay? That's where the temple of God was to stand, and that is in Jewish tradition. In the uh, commentary, or in the Aramaic translations, which is Aramaic was being spoken at the time of Jesus. Where did we pick up Aramaic anyway? Babylon. Babylon. In the Aramaic translations, those are called Targums. Um, that Mount Moriah is called the Mount of Worship. That's the name they give it, the Mount of Worship. Well, the temple, right? All worship had to take place in Jerusalem at the temple. And uh, Josephus, who was an unbelieving Jewish historian of the first uh, century, said Moriah was the mountain on which King David, and really Solomon, built the temple. Uh, Rashi, who was a revered rabbi of the 12th century, said that Mount Moriah is Jerusalem. No questions about that. And isn't it important and significant that Abraham said God would provide a lamb? at the same place where that temple is going to be built. What happened on that mount 1,500 or 2,000 years ago? The Messiah was crucified right there, the Lamb of God, on Mount Moriah. And that's where the story of Genesis 22 stops because it's typifying a moment when um, that final sacrifice did go all the way and the Lamb of God was killed. There's a book, um, for instance, uh, there, there's a book that was written about... Uh, um, this chapter in Biblical and Oriental Studies. There's a famous guy named Casuto, And he said, if you walk from Beersheba, which is south, to Jerusalem, which is north, he is able, after a journey of two days, to see it on the morning of the third day, the mountains of Jerusalem from afar. And look at verse 4 now in your uh, Genesis 22. It says, on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. So that was Mount Zion, that was Mount Moriah. Now, what does that word mean, Moriah? Well, there are several roots to that word in Hebrew, and you're going to see interesting meanings. First of all, um, there's the word ruah, which is in Moriah, and it means to see. Because in verse 4, it says, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw. And uh, also God said, oh, for instance, Cheryl has been a real help for me this morning. And um, when she took my box of literature, she could have said, I'll see to it that things are laid out. To see to something means to provide. My hostess is seeing to my needs this week uh, up Bearpaw Way, okay? So the word to see to something means to provide. And so... Um, now, the rabbis speak of more stems to this word, and all of them are important. 
Some of them say that the word Moriah points to the word Moreh. That's a word that I used when I was four years old. And I was in kindergarten at a place called Kibbutz, nursery school, not kindergarten, nursery school. And we called our teachers Moreh, because that's the word for teacher. Moreh is the word for teacher. Moreh is in Moriah. Um, other people said Moriah means um, the place of the fear of God. And you'll see that later, when you think of the patriarchs, you think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we'll see in a, in a passage that in, later in Genesis, God says that he is the God of Abraham and the God of the fear of Isaac. We'll look at that in a minute. Because I bet he was afraid up there. <laughs> I would have been. Um, and so the word for fear is yira, which is part, was one, another root that goes back to moriah. Interesting. Um, and the word for light is or in Hebrew, moriah. And, you know, <clears throat> there's an, of course, Jesus said he's the, the, uh, the light of the world. And there's another, and um, this is Jacques Isaac's favorite. It, uh, moriah means the place of myrrh. The other place where we see Moriah, where it is not talking about Mount Moriah, is in the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. And uh, the word more is um, in chapter 4, verse 6. Next slide, Eric. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountain of Moriah, the mountain of myrrh, and the hill of frankincense. Now, myrrh and frankincense, yes, we think of the temple sacrifices, but we know that myrrh points to the Messiah. And so, wow, the place of learning. Um, and, of course, Jesus is the teacher, the place of the fear of God, the place of light, the place of myrrh. Don't they all point to the Messiah? They do. Um, of course, Nicodemus brought myrrh to embalm the body of Messiah, but he was already resurrected. And Moriah is all these things. Let's look at verse 3 now and relive these moments with the Father and the Son. Abraham rose early in the morning. Now, you as seniors can appreciate this. Abraham was no young man at this point. Over a hundred. Rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood. Would you like to do that tomorrow morning? Men? He split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come see the place of worship. We will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son. He took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. Now, for those who are familiar with the account of the death and resurrection of the Messiah, well, the similarities are very striking. First of all, it's the father who prepares the journey. He saddles the donkey. He cuts the wood. He's an older man. He has a gazillion servants. Why doesn't he ask them to chop the wood? Because the story he is typifying is one between a father and a son. It's intimate the father who gives his son and he does all the preparation it's an ultimate sacrifice but it's a matter just between the father and the son next slide 
In Isaiah 53.10, it says, It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him, Jesus, to grief. Nobody could intervene. Nobody can come between the Father and the Son. It's a two-person deal. Who killed the Messiah? Ultimately, it's God the Father. Because no one can touch the Messiah. No one has that much might and that much love. And the Messiah fully complied. He was completely willing to die for us. So the Father and the Son are in complete agreement for the sacrifice. Because twice in this account, we're going to see that Abraham walked together with Isaac. The Father and the Son are in agreement. Portraying God the Father and God the Son. Let's look at the next slide. You're going to see in verses 6 and 8, you see that they are together. They're doing it together. But who else was along? We have all the players in the story are these ones. Abraham, Isaac, two men, and a donkey. Now, he had lots of servants. It's a dangerous journey. They could have been attacked. Why didn't he take, you know, armed people with him? Wild animals were around. But think of the donkey and the two men. Isn't that the beginning of the very the beginning and the end of the last week of Jesus' life? He came on a donkey, and his life ended between two men. Of course, you know, he came on a donkey, not some white horse and a you know, um, in victory, but in complete humility. In Zechariah, it says, your king is coming to you lowly and riding on a donkey. He came as the sacrificial lamb. And when he was crucified, there were two men with him. One on his left, one on his right. How long did that trip take? Verse 4 already told us three days, like those three days of Jesus' death before um, his resurrection. And if you don't know how we get three days, I can answer that at the end. Um, Jewish time, if I, for instance, I have a rental car, it's supposed to be taken back on the 27th at 2 p.m. If I take it back at 4 p.m., they charge me for a full day, right? Just like in Jewish time, any part of a day counts as a full day. Just keep that in mind when you count those three days. But for Isaac and Abraham, it was really a resurrection they came to witness, a new phase in their life, because death, the death was not ever meant for Isaac. It was meant for Jesus. Abraham called this place Yahweh Yireh, Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. God will see to it, because that must have been the moment that Jesus was talking about. Did you know that Jesus met Abraham or Abraham met Jesus? Let's go to the next slide, Eric. Your father Abraham, in John 8.56, it says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. When did Abraham meet Jesus? He saw it and was glad. Oh, we'll see it in a moment here. What about Isaac? You know, um, the trial was for both of them. Did Isaac have the same faith as Abraham that God would resurrect him? We don't know. But Isaac was willing all the way, and more than Abraham, it was his body. He had the whole, you know, offering to give. His submission and his quietness reminds us of the Messiah. Let's go to the next slide. We think of Acts uh, 2.23 says, He was reviled. He did not revile in return. 
That is the spirit of obedience, which is the spirit of Messiah in Isaac. Now, the greatest part of the story is not that Abraham was willing to sacrifice, but that Isaac was willing to be sacrificed. He could have understood, you know, he could have stopped it. Abraham was an elderly guy. Isaac was a strong young man, but he did not use, not a little boy, okay? He did not use his force. He complied. Who complied in giving his life? It was Jesus, the Messiah, complied and gave his life. Look at verse 7. Isaac says in Genesis 22, look, the fire and the wood, where's the lamb? Now, isn't that interesting? Until this place in all of Genesis, there is no mention of lambs being offered as sacrifices. That's what one, one of the um, laws of biblical interpretation is called the law of first mention. This is the very first time the word lamb is in the Bible. Very first time we see lamb. Now, how did Isaac know it took a lamb? We don't know. Not everything was written down, right? All their conversations. He knew but he's going to be the type of that Lamb of God who's going to come later, right? Um, they climbed Mount Moriah. Let's keep our eyes on Isaac. You know, Abraham laid that wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And um, it's interesting. One of the commentaries, one of the Jewish commentaries written by unbelievers, okay? But they said, it was like one who carries his stake on his shoulder. That's what Isaac was doing. Absolutely. But it was much more than that. It was a picture of the Jewish Messiah carrying his cross to the place of crucifixion. Next slide, Eric. We read in John 19, 17, he bearing his cross went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. And this moment was symbolized in the Akedah, this binding, when Abraham laid that wood on Isaac and he carried it. Now, what else did he take along? Fire and a knife, fire for judgment and knife for death. But the judgment and death were for Jesus, not for Isaac. What was Isaac thinking? Well, we don't know. We don't know. Abraham intended to go all the way, but Isaac, what was going on in his mind? He even said, look, here's the fire, here's the wood. He didn't mention the knife and the fire. Did you notice? Where did he get that faith from? To be so submissive and obedient without any hint of rebellion. Faith is God-given. Faith is God-given. And he must have had a great dose of it to, you know... Uh, be able to go through with it, to accept it without understanding. And maybe at the time his father was tying him up, binding him on the altar, it must have dawned on him, I'm the sacrifice. Even then he was submissive. Whoa. Greater faith is hard to find. Abraham had the faith to kill and Isaac had the faith to die. Now, the rest of the account brings us even closer to the Gospels. Look at verse 8 and 9, and 9 must be one of the most difficult to imagine. Verse 8 says, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide. Jehovah Jireh, God will see to it. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there. What's going through his mind when he's building the altar to kill and burn his son, and place the wood in order. See the orderliness of it all? 
And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So he stretched out his hand and took the knife. Now this is very disturbing. A father's going to slit the throat of his son. But it's only a play. It's not real. It's a type. Now remember those disturbing feelings? Put them at the cross because there it was real. And that is the intent of the Akedah, of the binding of Isaac. Well, again, we don't know what Isaac was thinking, but he must have thought of God's goodness because Isaac knew God. There's a story of a child in a storm, and um, most of you have been in an airplane when there's been turbulence, right? You kind of hold on, make sure your coffee isn't going to spill. And um, sometimes we fly right through a storm. And uh, the plane drops a few feet here and there and kind of, you know, it's not fun. Now, uh, during that time, everybody's quiet all of a sudden, right? They don't talk. They stop their conversations. They wait till it's all over. And it can be kind of scary. Pilots will tell you that it's not dangerous, but we kind of act that way. So the story is about a little girl who was on a plane and going through a very powerful storm, and the plane dropped a few meters many times, and it was going all over the place, and the girl's just playing with her toys and having fun, and everybody else is paralyzed in their seat. And after a while, the lady sitting next to her said, um, you know, how can you keep playing? And she said, oh, my daddy's the pilot. She trusted her father so much, she knew he could handle any turbulence. Do you know that your father is the pilot? When in crisis, we often act as if God who sent his son to die for us is just going to leave us when we need him. As if nothing ever happened before. Let's draw from Isaac who remembered that God was his father and acted on that fact. In fact, you know what? Isaac had two fathers to rely on, the earthly one and the heavenly one, Abraham and God. And that's why he was in complete and total confidence, even on top of the altar. Better than one pilot, he had two. But what happened in verse 10? Now we're going to see how our um, dear brother Eric did with this. Now most of you have seen, um, let's uh, go to the next slide. Most of you have seen a picture, a painting, and a children's Bible or something of, uh, uh, here we go of uh, Abraham about to kill Isaac. Now, he's way too young in this, by the way. He's well into his 20s, probably. Um, and uh, very arranged wood altar. That one's a good one. Um, and he's got his knife in the air. Everybody's seen a picture like this, right? Well, that's not how the Bible said it happened. Surprise, surprise. It's an unnecessary dramatization and it adds to the severity of the situation, and it distorts the message. God and Abraham don't look good here. You know, both fathers seem heartless. But let's see what happened, and you're going to see how sensitive God is. Verse 10, it says, Abraham stretched out his hand to pick up the knife. The word in Hebrew is stretched out his hand. And as he took it, the angel of the Lord, we're going to see who that is, called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, you know, called his name twice, he got it. He said, here I am. And he said, don't lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now the word to stretch out his hand to pick up the knife is the same word as to lay 
your hand on Isaac. So when it said Abraham stretched out his hand, he did not stretch out his hand over Isaac. It didn't happen. God said, don't do it. Okay? We have two different words. Stretch out his hand and lay his hand. Those are the same word in Hebrew. So God said, don't do this to Isaac. He made sure the knife was not lifted over Isaac. He said that would have been an unnecessary addition, and God was very considerate. Next slide. Because the knife was not for Isaac. It was for the Messiah who gave his life for us. And um, who is this dude over here? You know, who is this angel of the Lord here? Um, doesn't it say he was in heaven? He spoke from heaven? Okay. Uh, and did Abraham, so next slide, you know, Abraham, that didn't happen. And did Abraham really look like that? Well, you know, let's just go on to the next slide. So uh, now the tension of this moment reached up to heaven. And from heaven, he says, Abraham, Abraham, don't go any further. Don't, what a relief for Abraham. <sighs> he said, here I am, here I am. Now, imagine when Isaac was being bound. Uh, Jacques Isaac says, maybe it was like the half hour of silence will be before the blowing of the seven trumpets in Revelation. Heaven was frozen in expectation, but it was just a test. Because the real thing was going to happen when Jesus did die on the cross. That's where the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord is a theophany. That means a place where God appears. And um, I wonder what you're looking at there. Okay. That's, we're not, yeah, that's, maybe I said next slide, but it wasn't. It's okay. Um, so this is where the angel of the Lord, who represents another theophany, a physical manifestation of God, said in verse 12, look back in your Bibles, verse 12. Genesis 22, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son. Wait a minute, wait a minute. How many sons did Abraham have at first? Two. Was Isaac his only son? No, who was his first son? Ishmael, God, the God who hears. Yeah, where, where's he? What do you mean only son? Take your son, singular, your only son. What's that all about? Well, it's repeated three times, only son. Well, in verse uh, 2, verse 12, and verse 16, that word for one is the word yachid. It's singular. It's one. I have one clicker here, okay? Or I have one nose on my face, only one, okay? It's when I'm counting. It's not to belittle Ishmael, but he's saying the real son of God, there's only going to be one. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's what it's supposed to point to, that whoever believes in him should not perish. That Yahid, that one, is the Messiah. And here is the passage that now we have on the screen already. When he comes back to establish his kingdom, just before that, the end of the tribulation, uh, God says that the Jewish people will come to repent. I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to be operating during the tribulation for sure. The Spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for his only, his Yahid son. And grief for him as one grieves for a firstborn. 
So the only son, the only begotten son is the lamb and the king at the same time. So far, Moriah, the burnt offering, the donkey, the two men, the wood, the total submission, the knife, the fire, now the yachid. Jesus said it so well. If you just believed Moses, you'd believe in me. What an explosion. One more powerful point is the use of God's name. Um, in the initial um, uh, commandment to bind Isaac, the word Elohim. Remember I told you about El, one of the names of God? Um, in verse 14, we have a different name. And we use God's covenant name. When you see Jehovah or Lord in capitals, L-O-R-D, capital L-O-R-D, that's four letters in Hebrew, yod heh vav -He in Hebrew. And that name is in the phrase, the Lord will provide. As if he's saying, I'm the God, and this is the covenant-keeping name of God. He says, I'm going to keep my covenant, Abraham. I'm the sacrifice. Don't go any further. And Abraham, remember, he went up there to worship, not to have his son taken away. Um, but, you know, maybe Abraham made a mistake. Didn't he tell his servants, the lad and I will come back? Guess what? Isaac's name is not mentioned, that he came down. Look at verse 19. Another surprise. So Abraham, not Isaac, Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Where's Isaac? What happened to Isaac? Cheryl's going, ooh, that's cool. I never saw that before. So let's look at this picture. Remember, we're thinking of Isaac as portraying Jesus, right? Abraham is portraying the father, okay? Now, did you notice, okay, so let's think of, the, of our love story of, as the church, as the bride of the Messiah, okay? In the very end of this chapter, what is suddenly mentioned out of no place, verses 20 to 24, we've got a genealogy just planted in there. Whose genealogy is it? It's Isaac's wife. His bride, Rebecca. She hasn't even been introduced to us, and already we've got her, her, her family background. We don't even know who she is. We've never met her. But now we know who her papa is and her great-granddad and all that. Why? Because what is Jesus doing right now for us? He's preparing a place for us as his bride. And so instead of talking about this, the son Isaac... He presents the bride of Isaac. Basically, the church. Because he's coming soon. We're going to meet him in the air. Maybe he's going to come this afternoon. We won't have time to drive home in the rain. That is the story of the Akeda. That is the love story between the Messiah and his bride. That is the story of the love of a father for his son. Now, again, there are... Four verses given between the end of the account and the genealogy. It says the angel of the Lord blesses Abraham because of his faith and obedience, confirming that covenant again. And Abraham obeyed God. And they had great faith in God, uh, Abraham and Isaac, and they're greatly rewarded. So let's just take one more second here and think about the obedience that opened up those blessings. Mr. Gabizon always tells people that he believes everyone is called to be like Abraham and Isaac. Now, he says, these men don't 
just don't come out of nowhere. They're, they worked out their salvation, and they were blessed. They had to obey. But just like Israel, does, is Israel enjoying the land right now with 700 rockets being shot into her just a couple weekends ago? No, because she's in disobedience. So what is the key to enjoying blessings? Right here it says Abraham and Isaac obeyed, and they're blessed. So what about us? Jacques Isaac said, I heard a story the other day of two boys going to school, and they're talking about their families and how sometimes it's kind of hard with their parents. And one boy said, I figured out a system to get along with my mom, the perfect system. He said, it's really simple. She tells me what to do, and I do it. Brilliant. One of the greatest theological ideas. <laughs> we must first obey and follow God, and then we will enjoy this indescribable relationship. And notice that how many times did Abraham and Isaac, Kvetch, as we say in Yiddish, complain? Because I'm studying a lot in the book of Numbers. I'm teaching through the whole thing in French right now in Quebec. And, you know, how many times did they complain? Not once. There's a, I'll end with this. There's a story of a woman who had been broken by great tragedy in her life, and she had lived under the crushing weight of this burden for so many years that her praise, and sometimes as we get older we can complain a little too much, her praise had been replaced by complaint. And finally she cried out in bitterness, Oh, I would to God I'd never been made! And a friend who was with her, in response to her complaints, said very wisely, you are not made even yet. You are only still being made. And you are quarreling with God's process. You see, we are all in the process of being made. We're still here through trial. And with the faith in God, though, we can surmount any obstacles. So I hope you can go home with a few thoughts that will encourage you in your daily life. And um, any questions about what I talked about? Any Bible questions been in the back of your mind? You've been wondering something. Later, there are Jewish theories. Do you know who was still alive when he was alive? Seth was still alive. He lived a long time. And if you look at the numbers, you'll see Seth was still alive. And the Jewish commentators who are creative say that um, Seth was teaching him up on Mount Moriah. I don't know. But it goes straight to his bride at the end of the chapter, which is what Jesus is preparing now, his bride's home. Cool, huh? You think you know the story. You've told your kids, your grandkids, you think you know it. I taught it in Sunday school, and I realized I didn't know it. Another question? She already asked the first one. It's easier to ask a second one. All right, let's just talk a little bit about the ministry. Let's go on to the next slide. Um, so, yes, we are out to evangelize and um, share the teachings of the ministry. 
Jewish people are not going to get away with uh, living without Jesus and get to heaven without him. That doesn't work. Next slide. Um, this is our director, Jacques-Isaac Gabizon. In less than one year, he's coming to Calgary and will be teaching all weekend at the last day's Bible conference, the last weekend in April. Mark your calendars now. Okay. So he will be here. I don't know if I will be here. Maybe not, but he will. So you can come hear him teach, and I do hope you go. Next slide. Uh, please pray for our radio teaching. We have, um, why are we on the radio? Who listens to the radio? Orthodox Jews listen to the radio. Why? They're not allowed to have a TV. They're not allowed to have a computer. They don't have the internet. They don't have anything else, but they're allowed to have a radio. We're on the radio. We are on two different radio stations now, and we even get calls from people with thick Jewish accents. We know they're listening even though one of the stations is a Christian station. So please pray for our radio outreach next. Um, we do Bible distribution, and of course, right here in your own church, Valerie um, Hornet is doing Bible distribution here in Calgary to bless the Jewish people right here. Pray for her. Um, if you want to get a weekly report, ask her. She'll send it to you. They're giving out, on average now, three Bibles, New, Old, and New Testaments every week in Calgary. And if you would like to join, you could even just stay in the car and pray for them while they go door to door. That would be a great blessing. Some people cannot walk to the doors or don't feel comfortable, but they stay in the car and they pray. What a wonderful way to be of influence when you're not, you don't have the same strength. It's wonderful and very needed. We do that in Montreal. Next slide. And there are 50 free Bible studies of 191. I have just two of them on the table there. I'm not going to be selling much anymore because I got very sick last year. Um, but you can go to that website and you can go to what's on the back of your brochure here, arielcanada.com. Look for the come and see. All right, next slide. Um, there are different ways to hear this good teaching, if you enjoyed this Genesis teaching, you can listen to whole books of the Bible taught this way. And you can go to Messianic Viewpoint on um, oneplace.com, the name of the program. If you go to oneplace.com, you uh, type in, I don't expect you to remember that name, but you can type in Messianic Viewpoint. You can go to the website of the uh, congregation that is an extension of Ariel Ministries called Beth. Beth is house, houseofariel.ca, bethariel.ca. And on Facebook, you can watch us. You can listen to Messianic Praise and listen to a 40-minute message, and then Jacques Isaac always takes time to answer questions at the end of every single sermon. That's at uh, Beth Ariel Congregation, and it will take you to YouTube. There's also a YouTube link, but anyway, some of these things are Greek to you. I'm not going to go on. Next slide. Next slide. Sorry, what? There's a couple what? Okay, well, let me um, just talk offhand about the ministry. Just um, let's see, 
If you would like to be on our mailing list, just let it go. Let it go. I'll just talk the rest of the way out of it. Um, I've done it a few times. Uh, so if you would like to receive news, you know, 10 years ago, I didn't start coming here 10 years ago. I started coming to Alberta in 2011, so it was eight years ago. Most people, most Jewish people were refusing Bibles at the door at that time. Now a majority of Jewish people are receiving New Testaments into their home. Things are happening, folks. Things are really happening. It's time to pray. It's time to come against the anti-Semitism, even in your own province, um, even among people you might know. Um, I would appreciate your prayer. Um, there are prayer cards out there. You can take a larger one or you can take a little one. And whenever you want to pray for me in French, you just turn it over, see? And then it's got the French, so easy. Um, I need your prayer always for three things whenever I travel. Open doors where I can speak and transportation and housing, but most importantly, open hearts to receive um, what is being taught. And there are fewer and fewer churches, especially in Alberta, willing to receive me. Um, Pastor Bill was trying to get me into a few, but people don't call back. They're not interested. So um, I uh, am, um, okay, let me bring up a couple of other freebies that are out there. There are several freebies. Go take a look. It's all the left of the sign that says free literature. I even put it out in English for you, not in French. So here's one, uh, Zionism. Um, you hear that word thrown around. And uh, anti, people say they're anti-Zionist, but they're not anti-Jewish. Well, it's the same thing. Zionism is just believing that Jewish people have a right to live in a place of their own. So that's out there. This rising anti-Semitism. This is good for not just you, but also Jewish people you, that God might put on your path to witness to, that you could give them this. Every Jew is concerned right now about rising anti-Semitism, let me tell you. When I, I heard something even again, I mean, I, when I was preparing that talk for Edmonton, and I started making a list of all the things that happened in the last, in the previous week before I did that. I just, it just, it was like somebody took a machine gun to me. You know, it was just bang, bang, bang. Here, man, in Brooklyn, somebody comes up from behind. Somebody here in Europe, somebody beats up a, a musician, Israeli musician in Berlin. I could go down a list. I, I, I started to cry. I just, you know, I get afraid. I get afraid. I am very conscious if I wear a necklace with a Star of David on it now. I got to think, where am I? Is somebody going to see it? Pray for us. Pray for us. Um, that's it. Uh, if you would like to personally support Jewish missions and personally be blessed, then you have that opportunity to do that um, online, or you can do it this way. There is an envelope. There is a blue box out there. You can take one of these. Um, you can go according to what's indicated. This is the only way I live is from gifts, from people like you and churches like yours. I have no other income. I have no salary. I just trust God, and I hope you do too. Uh, we all need to. And um, so there you go. And I hope you've been blessed and enjoy the teaching, and there's just so much more out there. Even if you have... Oh, there's one other thing that we didn't put up. If you have, if you're blessed with a smartphone <laughs> and you know how to work it and you have an Android, now I'm getting into weird languages, um, you can go to the Google Play Store 
more for weird language, and download our app application that is um, Beth Ariel. And you can listen to lots of free content. Or if you have an iPhone, you go to the uh, Apple um, uh, App Store and you can get it there. So it's called Beth Ariel Congregation. And we have all these different books of the Bible. You can listen to the whole book of James, the whole book of Numbers, book of 1 Samuel. Want to hear how one woman changed a whole country? The whole story between Hannah and Jesus is one of the first stories in the first Samuel. Anyway, lots of good stuff on the app. You can listen day or night, anytime. So let's close in a word of prayer. Avinu Hashemayim, uh, our Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we can um, study your word. Thank you that you um, have laid things out so clearly for us that we live in a day and age when we can look at Jesus the Messiah and also back to Genesis and truly understand what you were trying to show us. <clears throat> Help us, Father, to be faithful in, uh, to you, to be obedient to you, as we saw at the end, to not complain, but to comply and to agree and enjoy the process, even though it's hard sometimes. Um, that you're fashioning us, you're forming us into the image of Jesus, and we still have rough corners that needed sanding and help us to say, yes, yes, God, do that work. Make us more shiny for you. Make us more shiny for Jesus. Make us shiny like Jesus. We want to be that way. And Father, help us to pray for the Jewish people, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem as we pray now. Not that no more bombs are ever going to fall. We've read the book. We know it will. But we pray the Prince of Peace would come live in Jewish hearts. Give us um, opportunity and speech to, that we might be able to share with the Jewish people around us. Or pray for those who are receiving Bibles right here in Calgary or in Montreal. Father, we thank you that you um, enjoin us to your work. We're part of it. And we, what a privilege we have. Help us to be faithful to that work until the end. And accompany us now as we go back home and enjoy some fellowship time. If uh, people can stay afterwards, and we ask that you would watch over each one. You know their needs. You know their physical needs. You know their emotional needs, their deepest needs. And ours are always spiritual. So help us to always look to you for our needs. Even as Abraham and Isaac look to you, Help us to look to you to take care of us and to keep your promises for you are the covenant-keeping God. We pray these things, B'Shem Yeshua, in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen.